Well, let's turn to the book of First Peter, chapter 2 again. Anybody here for the first time tonight? Any brothers braving the cold and the weather? It's getting a little bit fallish, huh? Feels good, though. Kind of sweet. Don't need no snow, though, amen? <laughs> tonight, part two, a precious witness, commendable conduct in the workplace, brothers, now, of course, last week we talked about conduct that was honorable among the Gentiles. And this is just continuing in that theme of submission. Submission. Submission in the workplace. Of course, we, we understand that Peter's talking to servants, to slaves who actually were slaves back then in the culture of the time. So we're going to turn that application to us in regards to our masters, our bosses in the workplace. Um, and you may think, well, Pastor Rob, you work here at the church, so you don't got to deal with any kind of stuff like that. <laughs> I still have a boss. Um, and yet, I am more blessed. I, I, you know, even back, thinking of the grocery industry, and some of my illustrations are from then, though. Um, yeah, we've all had good bosses, bad bosses. But I tell you, I, got, I was pretty fortunate. By the time I became a Christian... I was already in store management, so I was the manager of the store that I was managing, so I was the boss. Although I did have a boss that would come in uh, on occasion, my district manager, but um, I was pretty fortunate to not have to, to work under anybody. They all had to deal with me. Um, and yet, even with my district managers, uh, by the time I became a store manager, the, the one district manager that I'm going to refer to tonight... Um, he wasn't my DM anymore, and yet the guys that I had, well, for the most part, were great guys. So I was very, actually very blessed in the, the workplace as far as that goes. And then even coming into ministry, yes, I had my uh, ups and downs uh, working with the previous senior pastor. The senior pastor now, Jeff, though, has been just a godsend, an angel, uh, greatest guy to work for. I can't even tell you. I am so lucky, so blessed. But uh here in the passage, of course, Peter continues this theme of submitting. Don't we love this kind of a theme, guys? Submitting. Instructing the Christians who were slaves on how they were to conduct their lives, again, in response to what Christ had done for them. And, of course, there were a lot of slaves back then who had gotten saved. And, of course, Peter ultimately pointing them and pointing us to Christ in your workplace, in your place where you deal with the bosses. And, of course, the application... Our relationship with our employers, um, and of course, submission. Remember from last week, a military expression, literally meaning to arrange in formation under a commander to fall in line at attention, ready for orders. And ultimately, it speaks of obedience, guys, because when we are submitting to our bosses, when we are submitting to the governing authorities, it's just an obedience to God's word and his commands. Remember, we talked about that in Romans chapter 13. Completely, totally clear. Not any, any way to look at that anything different than God has put that person in charge over you and your life, and you're to submit. And, of course, Peter tells them that in their submission, as they are submissive, it's commendable. I love this. Let's go ahead and read the passage. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the Gentile, or the gentle, <laughs> Gentile, gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. 
If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, man, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to you, this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor is deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges rights righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he says, for this is commendable. This word means to cite or to name with approval or special praise. It's, it's a word that's thankworthy, praiseworthy, pleasing to God. And it refers to an action, you guys. An action that is beyond the ordinary course of, of what might be expected, which is commendable. Militarily speaking, guys, um, this is the type of conduct that is acknowledged by the awarding of the Medal of Honor. And why is this medal given, guys? The Medal of Honor for acts of valor that are life-threatening and beyond the call of duty. And I have uh, here with me the citation for what that meant for a, 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 a boy, actually. He was 18 years old named Edward A. DeVore. And this, uh, this, this DeVore, his, his official Medal of Honor citation reads like this, guys. For conspicuous, conspicuous gallantry and trepidity in action at the risk of his life, above and beyond the call of duty, specialist fourth class DeVore distinguished himself by exceptionally valorous actions on the afternoon of March 17, 1968, while serving as a machine gunner with Company B on a reconnaissance enforced mission approximately five kilometers south of Saigon. DeVore's platoon, the company's lead element, abruptly came under intense fire from the automatic weapons, Claymore mines, rockets, and grenades from well-concealed bunkers in the Nipah Palm Swamp. One man was killed and three wounded about 20 meters from the bunker complex. DeVore raced through a, ha a hail of fire to provide a base of fire with his machine gun, enabling the point element to move the wounded back to friendly lines. After supporting artillery, gunships, and airstrikes had been employed on the enemy positions, a squad was sent forward to retrieve their fallen comrades. Intense enemy frontal and enfilading automatic weapons fire pinned down the element in the kill zone. With complete disregard for his personal safety, DeVore assaulted the enemy positions. Hit in the shoulder and knocked down about 35 meters short of his objectives, DeVore, ignoring his pain and the warnings of his fellow soldiers, jumped to his feet and continued his assault under intense hostile fire. Although mortally wounded during the advance, he continued to place highly accurate suppressive fire upon the entrenched insurgents. 
By drawing the enemy fire upon himself, Devor enabled the trapped squad to rejoin the platoon in safety, and Devor's extraordinary heroism and devotion to duty in close combat were in keeping with the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, the 39th Infantry and the U.S. Army. The kid was born June 15, 1947, here in Torrance. He died March 18, 1968. He was actually 20 there in Saigon. And where is his memorial today? Anybody know? I saw the finger point right up here in Green Hills. And you can go there and you can see his memorial and it's, it's a huge square monolith thing and it has that citation etched in the stone. And, and every time I've been there doing a funeral and I drive through, I always stop and I read that citation and most of the time I can't get through it, I just choke up. Because your mind begins to go and, and those of you that may have served in Vietnam and, and of course I was never there, um, maybe people listening online, um, you know exactly what, what this was all about. And to see what he did and to um, imagine in your, in your mind what was going on and what was happening, just, for me that was just, it's just so amazing. And the commendation is, is appropriate. And yet when we look at this, what, what Peter is asking the slaves to do, when we look at what God is asking us to do in this submission to not good bosses, not good masters, but the harsh, the bad, man. And Peter's charge now to the slaves and to us in regards to their masters, this, this commendable conduct, really, he says, be submissive, guys. In a manner beyond the ordinary call of duty of what might be expected, this conduct to submit to a harsh and wicked master is deserving of a Christian Medal of Honor, with God himself giving you the commendation. And here's what gets crazy, guys. The idea here that Peter's talking about when we submit and it's a behavior, it's conduct that's commendable is the same commendation that God was speaking of when he saw what his son did in going to the cross. The same commendable behavior exhibited by Christ in his dying on the cross for us, which was surely beyond the ordinary, beyond what might be expected, especially in light of who he died for. See, Devor died for his friends, his buddies. Jesus died for his enemies. That's what makes it so mind-blowingly commendable. It was commendable. It was thankworthy. It was pleasing. And to those soldiers who have received the Medal of Honor, ordinary behavior would have been really to save yourself for us. I mean, who would have done that to preserve your own life? That's normal. But because of the extraordinary behavior beyond the call of duty to risk your own life and to give your own life for others, wow. That's the reason they award that Medal of Honor. It was commendable. And so here the purpose in Peter's writing these words to the slaves was to encourage them to conduct themselves in such a way that was honorable to Jesus. Back to verse 12, remember having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe. That your bosses, by 
your good works which they observe, the same context here, may glorify God in the day of visitation. That ultimately, their conduct would lead to the salvation of these harsh, harsh masters. When ultimately, that's what it all comes down to. It's crazy, simple as it sounds. Who would witness this commendable behavior, uh, be deeply affected by the testimony, even the testimony that we spoke of last week of Herb and Ruth Klingen, member to Kenoshi, who was that, the commander at the prison of war camp there in the Philippines. Remember, he got saved because of their witness, their testimony. And the same goes for us as Christian workers, man. Ultimately, our, our commendable behavior that is not ordinary would be such an incredible witness to our bosses who would see Christ in us and be drawn and then maybe be actually open to giving their lives to Christ. And so, of course, the question has to be asked right up front before we get into the Bible study, how is your conduct at work towards your bosses? Is it ordinary? Kind of what is to be expected by the world about everybody else in the workplace? Or is it commendable before God? Beyond the call of duty for Christ's sake, guys. And a little story here I'm going to share with you. Kind of embarrassing, but um, perfectly in line with where we're at. I'm one of the guys I ride bikes with, he's in charge of a, uh, a county um, organization. I'm not going to name it because of the confidential information I'm going to share. But he's, he's like number two in the whole plant. And he's in charge of all the hiring. So we're on a bike ride one day and he's telling me, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I hired this kid. And uh, he, he uh, in his application, and this is why it caught my attention, why I hired him. He, he said he was a youth pastor for Calvary Chapel. He told me the name. I forgot who it was. It didn't, he told me the kid's name. I don't know who it is and everything. He goes, so I picked him up. You know, I mean, I made the association. Of course, you're with Calvary, obviously, this and that. And so I figured, he's, you know, it might be a good pick. And so, um, so you know, he tells me, okay, great, whatever. Next week, out on the bike ride, he, he kind of, hey, by the way, um, that guy I hired, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He goes, well, you know, yeah, okay, but uh, we'll see. Anyhow, time goes by, time goes by and everything. And then he keeps kind of keeping me updated. And, of course, he's on probation. And, of course, you know, once they make it through probation in a county setting, I mean, you're set for life unless you kill somebody. I mean, that's, you can't get rid of these people. And so the sad thing is he shares with me, though, you know what? I'm thinking I'm going to have to let this guy go. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. He's a youth pastor for Calvary Chapel, and, and he's having problems? Yeah, well, we catch the guy. He's on his phone all the time. We've caught him sleeping on the job. And all he's doing is justifying, making his excuses. I'm trying to work with him, Rob. I'm trying to, you know, help the guy out and everything. And I'm like, dude, fire him. Don't give, not on my account, give him a break. I even told my friend the scriptures to take him to. Take him to Colossians. Take him to you know, all these different things and just, you know, rip him upside. Tell him the pastor Rob from Calvary South Bay said, you know. And yet, sad to say, sure enough, he said, you know, Rob, the thing was that if he was acting this way while still on probation. But how's he going to act when he's off probation? So had to fire him. Sad, huh? Sad, brothers. His conduct was not even ordinary. And it was a terrible, terrible witness that embarrassed me. It's like, are you kidding me? Man. Anyhow, commendable conduct in the workplace. Number one, three main points tonight. 
It submits to their bosses, verses 18 through 20. It follows Christ's example, verse 21 through 23. And it responds in righteousness, verse 24 through 25. So number one, commendable conduct in the workplace. Number one, submits to their bosses. Verses 18 through 20, of course, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters. And the word servant here referred, of course, to household slaves. Slaves who made up a large part of the early Christian community. And of course, these slaves were treated harshly. They were owned by their masters. They could do what they want with them. Um, And they were actually dead set against Christianity anyhow. And so we're looking at, of course, from the context of bosses, obviously. And and Peter's talking about conduct with both good masters and bad masters. And of course, how hard is it to work for a good guy? It's easy. You're blessed. But like I said, we've all had the bad masters and the, the bad bosses and the challenges of conduct with those guys. How are you doing under the guys that are jerks, the guys that are idiots? We've all had good guys. We've all had idiot guys. This guy was running to as the district manager. He's dead now, so I can mention his name. His name was Charlie Saliba. I think I've mentioned the name before. This guy, he... He was one of those kind of guys, as a district manager, these guys, they thought they were demigods, district managers in the grocery industry. I'm telling you, they walked into a store and everybody trembled. Everybody in the store knew they were there. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be known. They wanted to be known as the toughest district managers. But this guy didn't only want to be known that way. He wanted to act like everybody loved him at the same time. And he was... One of those kind of guys that wanted all the attention, wanted everybody knows in the store. He'd walk into the store and he'd get on the green line, which is the, communi- the way you communicate. Hey, Charlie's here. Da, da, da. And like, oh, man, this guy. And, and, and he rubbed me so much the wrong way, the guy. And the sad thing is, I mean, he loved, he loved to rip people. Anybody have bosses like that who just love to rip you up one side down the other and do, to cuss in such a way it was poetic. It was like, I mean, he could just rip off all these customers. I remember going to a district meeting one time, all the store managers there, and, and he was on one of the women store managers and just spitting, spewing, spewing, and just, it's just like it was the most unheard of thing that you could think of in front of everybody. And she just was just sinking down below her seat, and he was relishing in it. The bad bosses. And maybe for you, it is a horrible boss. Maybe you have to endure somebody who's perverse, immoral, lewd, cursing. I guess that's pretty much any boss in the world these days, huh? Maybe it's dishonest boss, a lying boss, a deceiving boss, a manipulating boss. And maybe like Lot, man, your soul is just vexed at work. And you so wish, anybody ever wish you could quit? You could quit right now, maybe. And yet you can't. Maybe you can't quit, but you could kill them. Maybe that's what you're thinking of, huh? Man. And you even have to ask yourself this question. What kind of boss are you? I know we've got guys here that are probably in, in charge, boss. But no matter the case, though, man, Peter says commendable conduct submits. Why? Number one, verse 19, because he belongs to God. If because of conscience toward God, guys, because of your relationship with him, because of your love for him, because of your desire to honor him, you're mindful. I want to do what is right. But that's a good motivation right there. 
your conscience toward God. Hey, God's watching. God knows. God sees. But also commendable conduct submits with all patience because of God. Not because he belongs to God, but because of God. I, I, I want to do good for God. If you take it patiently, man, taking it patiently because of God. The fourth fruit of the Spirit, doing good and suffering for it. Man, what a, what a challenge that is, guys. Think about that. You're doing good. You're doing the best you can, and you're still getting beat up. You're still getting ragged on. You're still getting chastised. And sometimes knowing that God knows is really the only thing to get you through it. Consolation in the abuse that comes from your employers. But, of course, Peter's got a little side note for us. <laughs> but don't be complaining, guys, if, if you are causing your own problems. So often that's the case. You've got to take an examination of your own life. You know, am I the cause of the problem? Of course, the guy that my buddy had to fire, he was like, what? What are you talking about? Hey, trying to throw back on them. Are you kidding me? Sleeping on the job during probation? I'm at least wait to get through probation. <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. See, Christians, as we know, should be the best employees or at least try the hardest. And I'm going to throw this out, and I'm not meaning to offend anybody out there, but be careful of hiding behind the union. Oh, wait a minute. But I'm going to tell you, I was, I was part of the United Steelworkers Union when I worked at U.S. Steel, which is right over there where Honda is now. But also I was a part of the United, the Retail Clerks Union. So I've been on both sides. I was in those unions. <laughs> but uh, my experience, my personal experience, sad to say, is that I viewed unions, unions really, as far as I was concerned, they only helped the guys that were doing the bad jobs in the first place. Didn't help me out any. But if you didn't do a good job, call up the union, call my union boss, call them up. Honestly, guys, Christians should never need the union. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions to that. Don't get me wrong. But you shouldn't need the union. You shouldn't be one of those kind of guys that, you know, has the union card in the bag. And everybody knows, everybody in the grocery industry, everybody knew who the union guys were. You know, the union, the shop steward, basically. And it's sad to say these guys were the worst employees. They hid behind the union. They tried to get away with murder, not even trying to do their jobs right. Man, over there in the, uh, this, when I worked for U.S. Steel, <laughs> man, that union was strong, just like probably the ILWU. And uh, there's people that hid behind it, man. It was the, the, the key at U.S. Steel, man, this was, you were, you were well known and you were famous in that steel mill if you could get away with doing the least amount of work for the most amount of pay. And man, guys prided themselves on that. Prided themselves on that. Man, Christians should be the best workers, you guys. And be patient in your suffering with it. And number three, though, commendable conduct submits because it finds favor with God. Verse 20 is what he says here. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? Think of that. Man, I'm not saying anybody should take that because, of course, back then it was legal. And, of course, now it's not legal for your boss to walk up and punch you in the nose. And, and be, he can cuss you up some, one side down the other and harass you, even though we all go to the harassment training things, right? Pfft, what a joke. My wife is a nurse. She works in professional doctor's office, whatever, whatever. 
She says, it is so bad in that profession. The language is terrible, even among the women. Crazy. So it's, it's one of those things that it's, it just doesn't even matter. But if it finds it's commendable. But if, if you're beaten for your faults, thank God we're not beaten for our faults. But if you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable. It's pleasing. It's thankworthy for God. And it's in line with how Jesus submitted, you guys. And God takes note. He, he sees your submission. So number one, commendable conduct submits to the bosses. But number two, the reason why he's following Christ's example. Verse 21 through 23. The wind is coming up around here. Verse 21, follow with me. For to this you were called. I, I don't like that part. Called to what? You're called to suffer for doing good. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow. A, a copy for imitation, you guys. And he's quoting here out Isaiah, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. Man, the word example here appears nowhere else in the New Testament. And the idea comes from the way that we used to learn how to write as kids. Remember that. You put the tracing paper down over the letters. It was a writing exercise. You would trace over the darker letters underneath. And this word literally means to plant our feet in the foot Prince of Jesus, to follow Christ's example. And so number one, guys, we understand it is a calling. Verse 21. See, if Christ suffered, we as his followers will suffer. That word is used four times in our passage. Anybody like the word suffer? Man. But that's what he's talking about. With salvation, guys, comes suffering. There's no way around it. The master Jesus suffered for doing good, and the student is not above the master, as the scripture says, and this is just the way it is. I have no better explanation for you than that, except that's the way it is. But why? Why is it, though? We know that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. We also understand that we learn obedience through the things that we suffer as well. God uses this suffering in our lives, but much of it, of course, we know it comes from the enemy. This is a spiritual warfare aspect of being a Christian that you just got to deal with. It is what it is. It's Christianity 101. There's no getting around with it. Ultimately, the enemy is in the midst. He's trying to destroy your witness. He's allowing things. He's causing things to happen. He's moving things around. He's, he's causing you to get frustrated. He's causing you to retaliate. He's causing your bosses to go crazy on you, to spit in your face and yell at you and call you all bad kinds of names and everything. But this suffering, you guys, um, the worst part is that when you're doing good, when you're doing good, you're doing the best you can, and yet the, the, the suffering still comes. The spiritual warfare still comes. But this is what you were called to, guys. But also, guys, understanding that in that suffering, though, there is a great reward. And oftentimes it does come in the workplace with promotions and such, but a lot of times it, it doesn't. But the reward ultimately will come when we stand before Jesus 
And if you turn about four pages over to the left to, to Hebrews chapter 11, love this passage. Reading through Hebrews as I read through the Bible. Of course, I love it how God brings you to verses. You know, what, what, you know the worst thing about doing a Bible study is when God brings you to verses that would have been perfect for last week's study. Oh, man, that would have been, oh, I missed that one. Oh, goodness. But I like this one. He brought it to me even yesterday as I'm reading through the Bible. And, of course, Moses, chapter, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw his, he was a beautiful child and they were afraid of the king's command, of course, to be killed. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, though, here it is, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer. Suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Here it is, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Guys, when you're in the midst of suffering for doing good, being reminded that God is with you in the midst of it. He sees it as commendable behavior, that there will be a reward for that. You will be justified in that. So we understand this calling. But number two also, we follow his steps. Verse 22 through 23a. And of course, this is a reference from Isaiah 53 that Isaiah prophesied 70, 700 years before Christ. And we see here that Christ, he didn't get what he deserved. He didn't get, I mean, he didn't deserve what he got. I take that back. There was no sin, no deceit found in his life. He committed no sin, no deceit. And when he was reviled, he didn't call the union. He didn't get a lawyer. He didn't scream back. He didn't threaten to punch. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten amazingly amazingly no sin yet he did not respond with the negative he didn't say i'm gonna get my dad don't think about those when you're a kid i'm calling my dad up i'm getting my dad i'm getting my big brother out here no and this of course has to be the pattern for us as well we follow this example we are to follow it how do we follow it guys how do we follow that number three we commit ourselves to god but he committed himself to him who judges rightly, who judges righteously. Jesus committed himself to the righteous judge, and we must do the same. We got to entrust ourselves to God who sees, who knows. And when treated poorly, guys, or beaten, basically for good, man, remember, it's God who will judge. It's God who will vindicate, God who will avenge, God will pay back. It's tough, though, isn't it? Because we want to take matters into our own hands. We want to retaliate. We've all been there. And the frustrating things about it, like even for being out here, for us. I mean, we're suffering being under the tent. But, you know, there's churches right now, as we all very well know, who are inside their sanctuaries where it's nice and warm, nice and comfortable, up in our kids' own sanctuary where we got our coffee and we got our donuts and all that good stuff. And the frustrating part is, they're in their churches and nothing's happening to them. I mean, it was almost like, you know, you wish they would, the authorities would come and throw locks on their doors and chains and everything and put them all in jail, of course. And that's, 
from a wicked heart because why? Because we're suffering for doing good and yet nothing's happening with us. You know, nothing's changing. And that's the biggest challenge, guys. Man, you get blamed for something that happens at work. And then, you know, the boss calls you into the office. Hey, so-and-so told me, you know, this machine broke down or whatever, whatever. And it was you that did it. I, I wasn't even working that day. What are you talking about? And they're all lying in the whatever. They're blaming you for it and you get blamed for it. And you can't prove that it wasn't you or you can't prove that you didn't do it. You get blamed. You were doing good. You're doing your job. It happens. Same thing. Man, understanding here what Peter's saying, we got to leave it in God's hands. Suffering for good, that's the toughest place, toughest place. Being beaten for doing good. So commendable behavior, commendable conduct follows Christ's example, but number three also, commendable conduct in the workplace responds in righteousness. The response, you guys. Verse 24 and 25, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, my here it is, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What is he talking about? What is he saying? See, the sufferings of Jesus, you guys, accomplished, obviously, great good for mankind. Great good, salvation, eternal life. And great good, you guys, should come from our sufferings. Namely, that we should live our lives in righteousness, righteous before the Gentiles, verse 12, but also righteous before our employers and our fellow employees. See, Jesus in his suffering, he died for our sins, of course. He bore them on the cross in his body, whose stripes we've been healed, but also in our salvation, though, guys, remember, we died. We died. And if we're dead, why did these things affect us? Even as Paul told the Colossians, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you'll also appear. We died, you guys. Paul says, Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And yet, man, when somebody starts pushing our buttons and the boss gets on you and you're being yelled at, especially for doing good, you're not dead at all, huh? That flesh is like, come on, dude, you, it's it. let's go out in the back. Anybody ever choose on their bosses? <laughs> I won't even go into those stories. Man, think about it, though. We died. So in this, guys, number three, the fruit of this salvation, though, is righteousness. There it is. You've been saved. You've been changed. The good that comes from our suffering, it plays out as righteous living before the world. In context, of course, our bosses and fellow employees, because we were once lost, remember? Once we had no excuse for our bad conduct. Looking back in the BC days before Christ and my conduct with employers. Hmm. I was one of the ones you want to say, you're going to talk to me like that? 
let's go out in the back. Let's go out in the parking lot. I'll follow you home. I'll find out where you live kind of a thing. Before Christ, we had an excuse. But now, guys, what Peter's saying, we don't have an excuse. Even those slaves being beaten, no excuse. We've been born again. We've been saved. We've been changed. A new creation that follows Christ. And as a Christ follower, you guys, our conduct is different even in the workplace, even in our suffering, it's to be commendable before God. Is that the case for you? So some application for tonight. Number one, let me ask the question, do the people you work for even know that you're a Christian? Do they know you're a Christian? And of course, the answer should be a resounding yes, of course they know. How do they know I'm a Christian? Because of my commendable behavior, not only your bosses know it, but those who work with you, who see the treatment, who see what's going on, who sees how you're, you're responding to being beaten up. The people should know that you're a Christian, you guys. They should know it. I remember back in, of course, the grocery industry analogy here, there was, there was two guys that I knew that were Christians, and they, were, they both had the same position. They were grocery specialists. I was a store manager. They were grocery specialists. They come in the store and ask, oh, how are you doing? Hey, Larry, this is an old man. We talk about Christ and it was great fellowship. The other guy come in, blah, 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 great fellowship and everything. Well, we had this big meeting down the, the corporate headquarters and we all show up there. Well, we all came together and I'm like, hey, you guys know each other? Oh, yeah, yeah, we work together. We got the same position. Oh, cool. So then, you know, you're, you're Christians, right? He looks at him, and he looks at him, and goes, I didn't know you were a Christian. And the other guy goes, well, I didn't know you are a Christian either. And I'm like, I hammered him. I mean, it was like, you got to be kidding me. You guys don't even know that you're each Christians? What kind, of, what kind of witness is that and everything? And, of course, it was tongue-in-cheek, but it was, like, pretty sad. They didn't even know that they were Christians, each of them, working in the same position Sad. Do the people, though, where you work, do they know you're a Christian? And prayerfully, they know it because of your commendable behavior. Number two, though, how is your conduct in a workplace? Is it worthy of commendation? How are you doing, guys? Is our response, is our witness, our behavior worthy of a commendation from God? Would you receive that Medal of Honor? Remember, guys, the purpose behind it, what Peter's talking about is that these guys would see your conduct. They would see that it is honorable. They would be drawn to it. They'd be drawn to Christ because of it. Honorable conduct, commendable behavior that would receive that medal of honor that would, would possibly lead to the salvation of some that you work with. And of course, number three, lastly, guys, ultimately, the attitude is what God is looking for. And of course, no one's expecting you to be treated ridiculously harsh and in, in a way that's, that's illegal. Um, but it's the attitude that responds to that treatment. There's proper ways to deal with those kind of things, of course. And, and, and quite frankly, they should be dealt with. But when I deal with it in a way that's in my flesh and responding in a way that doesn't bring honor to God, that doesn't do anybody any good. Because I'll get fired. I remember <laughs> back in the BC days... 
a new store manager had come in, and I was the grocery manager, and I had my third man there, and, and I didn't like this guy because the, the, the guy wasn't the store manager for he was our buddy. He was the guy that would take, and me and my buddy in the office there, we'd be up on the roof drinking beer after we got off, and this store manager would take and hand up six packs of beer to us while we're up there getting drunk. That was a good boss. <laughs> well, this guy comes in, and he was one of the, you know, and I just didn't like the fact that this, the store manager had left. And so he's in there, and, and, and this guy, he, would, he, would, he was a little bit sloppier. He'd put things all over the bulletin board in the office and everything, and I was like this neat freak, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? So I take these notes and I kind of rearrange everything and I, I move everything and everything and he comes in and he's like, hey, hey, where's that note I put? I put a phone number in there. And I, like, I don't know, probably threw in the trash and he starts pounding his fist into the, I put the note right there and everything and I'm like back talking to him and everything like and he leaves the office all mad and everything and my third man that was in there, he's like, man, you're going to lose your job. What? And he's cussing at me and everything. What are you doing? What's the matter with you? Man, my attitude wasn't good at all. It was a bad attitude. I finally changed, and this, this guy became a great store manager for me. Um, still a great guy. But it's the attitude, guy. Submission to authority, to bosses, to the police, to the governing authorities, whatever it is. Even those that you don't like. Man, it's the attitude that God is looking for, you guys. Ultimately, all this means really is submission, us Submitting to God and his word. Am I going to submit to others around me in obedience to God and his word? That's what it comes down to, you guys. Seriously, it's a heart check. Do I have the right attitude? Am I willing to submit for Christ's sake, for conscience towards God? Am I willing to take up my cross in this? Am I willing to die to myself, die to my flesh, to be a greater light, a greater witness in the midst of the suffering, even for doing good. And think of that behavior. Think of what that would do to somebody, that you're bearing up under it, people witnessing it. Even when you could say something, even when you could do something, you suck it up. You suck it up for Christ's sake. You follow Jesus for the Lord's sake. You check your hearts. Jesus is our example, guys. And this is what is commendable before God. And I'm not saying it's easy by any means. We all have pride. We all have flesh that's still there. And, and especially in the workplace, man, my heart goes out to you guys. You know, definitely I work in a situation where, and even saying, Pastor Jeff, couldn't be better. But you're out there in the world and maybe... Some of you guys have great bosses, and this is just, I'm, you're blessed, you're blessed. But you may not have that. And the challenge is out there for you guys. How are you going to submit to this? How are you going to fall in line with this? How, how is your behavior going to become commendable? Of course, it is, again, dying to ourselves, following Christ, his example, understanding that there is a greater reward. There is, there is a, a Christian medal of honor coming your way. And it may not happen in this life. But God will vindicate. God is the one who will take care of things for you in the end and prayerfully even while you're here today. That as you pray, as you look to the Lord, as you trust in him, as you, as you die to yourself, praying that God moves that boss on. God changes his heart. God gets him saved. Because 
remember, I was a boss that wasn't a Christian. And my motto was kicking teeth and taking names and people jumping like frogs and sweating like hogs. I mean, it was whatever it took so that I could get the promotion. Thank God Christ came into our lives. Amen. All right, let's pray. Let's go ahead and stand, brothers. Father, again, we thank you for your word. And Lord, sometimes we look at these passages and these are the tough ones, Lord. Especially when you're asking a man to submit. And yet again, Lord, we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He submitted to his father in heaven. He died to himself and in obedience before men humbled himself, Lord. And yet, Lord, you exalted him. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers, Lord. I pray for those who are suffering for good. I pray for those who are under the the hand of a heavy, um, unreasonable boss. Would you set them free, Lord? Would you give them grace? Um, Lord, even in our attitudes and submitting to the governing authorities, the things that are taking place, even now in our lives, Lord. The part of us that wants to completely rebel, wants to burn every single one of these masks and, and, and never even look back, Lord, help us again to remember that we're doing this for you. And when we do it for you, you know it's for you. And Lord, that is commendable behavior. So much so, Lord, that you equate it with how pleased you were that your son would go to the cross, Lord. So bless my brothers, I pray. Thank you for them, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.